Lord, I have nothing to add other than what we just sang. God, would you please have your way in this place just now. In my heart, in the hearts of those who are all here, standing together as one. We would like to think that we've all come with the same exact motive. I doubt that that's literally true. Some are desperately seeking for some answer or direction in their life. Others are keeping a good habit. Others are, yeah, I, I need to go to church, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. But it's good to go. I'm going. I, I love Jesus, but not like I'm dying. Lord, whatever you need to speak to, whatever heart would you have your way? Would you arrest us in our foolishness and rebellion? Would you comfort us in our grief? Would you heal us in our brokenness and desperation? Would you speak? intentionally to every possible scenario and circumstance represented here in each of us. God, please, for our benefit and for your glory, would you have your way in each heart? In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. We're in the book of Galatians this morning. A brief introduction in chapter 1. And then we'll spend all our time in chapters 5 and 6. Is it just, just me? Is this microphone very loud? It's okay? You okay? Galatians chapter 1. I want to read just a few verses with you there. And then we'll get to our text in chapters 5 and 6. Really chapter 5, just an elongated introduction out of chapter 1. But the real meat of the matters in chapter 6. Here's the passage in chapter 1. I wanted to read this so you would catch the ultimate motive of the whole book. This statement would give you a clear understanding of why the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians, and here's his primary objective. Verse 6. I'm astonished that you, the church in Galatia, that you were so quickly deserting him who has called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Wow. That is a shot in the chest. He is saying, by divine inspiration, by the way, that the church in Galatia is in trouble. And the reason that they're in trouble is because they are quickly, quickly deserting, walking away from Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, and they're turning to a different gospel. But they quickly correct, not corrects, but clarifies himself in verse 7. There really isn't another gospel. But there are some who will trouble you and want to distort the gospel. And therein is the problem of every believer and every generation of time. It begins with the not-so-innocent question, is that really what the Bible is saying? Does it really mean that? You know, it could mean this. And maybe they just said that because that's the way it was in their culture. But our culture is different now, so I'm not sure that applies to us now. And on and on and on these distortions go, and if you're paying any attention to what's happening 
the Western world, North America, and Europe, it, this kind of distortion is it's pervasive. We are being overwhelmed with another gospel, which really isn't, there's no such thing as another gospel. There's the truth and distortions of the truth. Verse 7 of credit. Neary makes this statement. This is how serious this is, and this is how certain and confident I am in the inspired word of God. Verse 8. I don't care if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that you've heard. Let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone, even an angel from heaven, is preaching to you something other than the inspired word of God, let him be accursed. And I love verse 10. Just so we understand. I was going to leave it out, but you got to catch it. Because he's clearing his conscience and he's, he's, he's making clear his position and, and, and how he got here. Am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Would I say things like I just said? Would I be this bold? Would I be this dramatic? Would I be this, this earnest in drawing a line in the sand? Would, would, would I be talking like this if I was worried about the approval of men? Obviously not. To take a stand like this in these verses, 6 through 9, either Paul is convinced to the core of his being or he's a crazy man. I don't think he's a crazy man. I am not seeking the approval of God. It's a rhetorical question. Am I trying to please man? If I were still. If you want to think about the Apostle Paul's life, he was a radical, devout Pharisee before he became a Christian. And Christians were the number one threat to the Pharisee religion. So he's persecuting and even agreeing to execute Christians before he himself became one. You get the, 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 the irony? Am, am I pleasing man or God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still, like in my old life, trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This brother's all in, sold out or however you want to phrase it. And it's in that sense that he's writing this book to the church at Galatia, because they're drifting. And here's what I know about drifting. You often, almost always, you don't even know that you're drifting. If you spent any time on a sailboat, you would get what I'm saying here. We're all drifting, and we don't even know it. And even when we begin to suspect that maybe it's true, it's, well, it's not like I'm, I'm there's a little leeway in, in, in what is still true, right? I mean, you, you, you can be leaning left, but still be true. You can be leaning right and still be true, but the Apostle Paul said, no, nah, I don't think so. Drifting is drifting. Leaning is leaning. He's not calling for radical warfare, that we attack people 
And you'll see that where we're going next. But he opens the book with this just real punch in the chest. Hey, church, you're slipping. You're drifting. And, and, and it's, it's not so noticeable. You've got to confront this. He deals with a lot of it in the book, but we get to our focus this morning in chapter 5. Go to chapter 5. And again, it's still more introduction. I'll give you a few verses. We won't read the whole thing. But he's saying this. Catch the word freedom, chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. That's not a peculiar repetition. Not the concept of freedom, for the life of freedom, for the, for the, the, the abiding in a state of freedom. It's for freedom. Christ has set us free. Setting us free is the act of redemption. Setting us free is the act of, I've, I've, I've paid the debt of your sin. I've washed your record clean. If we could pull up in our day electronic files and, and look for sins, you wouldn't find any because it's all been erased from my record. When Jesus looks at you, if you're truly born again, he doesn't see all of your past sins. He sees the blood of his son, Jesus. And whatever sins were there, they're washed away by the work of his son, Jesus. It's in that sense that we are legally free. We are functionally free. I know we don't always feel practically free, but we are. So the negative is, we don't think we're distorting the gospel. But in our drifting, we are. And now here in the contrast that, we don't always feel free, but we are. And the more I agree with what the Bible says, rather than trust my feelings, haven't you had some assumptions about people and the way they they kind of tilted their head and laughed and thought they were being sarcastic only to discover, no, they were being genuinely, I don't know, encouraging, respectful. They may have misstepped with their poor attempt at humor, but you totally misunderstood what they were doing. You don't think we totally misunderstand from time to time what that verse means and what God is doing in my life right now? Know this, that whatever Jesus is doing in your life right now, what, what mess you're in the middle of right now, it's for your freedom. For freedom. Christ has done all that he's done to us. Not to keep you under his thumb. Not to make you suffer. Do we suffer? Yes. But the suffering is leading to more freedom. Do we feel restrained by him? Does he stop me from hurting myself more? Yes. But the ultimate objective of that process is to bring me to a greater understanding and experience of freedom. Not anarchy, not chaos, but I'm free from guilt. I'm free from shame. I'm free from sin. Christ has set me free. We think Christianity is all about restriction. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't say that. 
I'm not saying there aren't some things we should and should not do, but the objective of God is not to reign us in. He's trying to set us free. But like we begin to reinterpret the scriptures, there is no other gospel. There's only one and a perversion of it. Of it. Well, there's no other kind of freedom than true freedom that comes only from Jesus. Although we do get a religious perversion of that freedom. That's the whole point I want you to see here. Just getting started. We're just getting started. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm in that true freedom. Not our imagined 21st century cultural definition of, of, of religious or Christian freedom. But no, true biblical freedom. Stand firm in that freedom and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. We all know how religion, be it Baptist or pick your most extreme, like the illustration we saw this morning of this young lad in, where was it? I forgot already, in Nepal. That religion became slavery. You don't think that happens in 21st century America? Oh my goodness. Oh, oh my goodness. We use the Bible like a club to beat each other up. Christ has called us to freedom. Not. Not. To slavery. Skip to verse 13. Chapter 5, verse 13. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Hey, you'll forgive me. I, I, I could get away with some stuff. Well, now you're not free. You're back to your own self-imposed slavery. You're called to freedom, brothers. Don't use freedom. Don't misunderstand and misapply freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love. Serve one another. Well, wait a second. I thought it's all about freedom. Freedom's all about me. Well, if you think like a typical American, yeah, freedom is all about you. But there was a time in America where, no, to maintain our freedom, we're going to have to go to war. And my parents, who, by an unbelieving journalist called the greatest generation, concluded that what made them great was they were fighting for their freedom. They were fighting to be free, to remain free, because other people, other nations were trying to enslave us. It began with Hitler, and the Japanese signed on, a few others. No, you're not taking our freedom. And men and women died so that we wouldn't lose our freedom. And we love that story. It's a true and uh, amazing American story. We love it because of freedom. But I fear that we've lost that sense of struggle for spiritual freedom. And we settled in for a religious, muddy, cloudy, yeah, yeah, freedom, but it feels like slavery. For freedom, Christ set us free. Chapter 1. He set us free. But don't misunderstand and don't misdefine 
and don't miss the true experience of real biblical freedom. And it shows up when we serve one another. Our freedom's not found in I do what I want, when I want, and don't nobody ask me nothing. That's not freedom. You're a slave to your own selfishness. Freedom comes when we lose ourselves in appropriate, which enables me to help others, to serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I love myself a good amount because I take care of myself. And I indulge myself. And I'll, yeah, go ahead. And then we cross the line and we get into just a corruption of freedom into absolute self-indulgence. But true freedom sets boundaries. Yeah, I'm free to do that, but that's not helpful. I'm not going to do that because I love myself too much to do that. We're living in a culture that everything's been inverted. You know what? I love myself. You know, but I'm saying, I'm going to drink myself as long as I drink all I want to. You don't like it? I'm going to drink more right in front of you. How do you like me now? We become spiteful to prove that I'm free. We become stupid to prove to you that I'm free, only to become enslaved by that, which we think is my right. I'm going to do what I want. But you're not free. You've become a slave to your own ignorance. And on and on and on, that illustration proves itself to be true. The whole law is fulfilled in this. If you love yourself, you take care of yourself. And if you love yourself as, as you love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, you'll take care of your neighbor. But if you fight about my rights, my freedom, you bite and devour one another. You end up consuming, killing each other all in the name of freedom. You see how inverted, how, how crazy this has become? We've drifted and drifted and redefined what freedom means. Skip to verse 16. He moves now from freedom to the concept of spirit. He's adding a different element to freedom and its spirit. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the enslaving impulses of your own flesh. Walk in the Spirit, and you'll begin to experience true freedom. You won't gratify the desires that enslave you. Walk in the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean what I fear. Some of you might assume, well, it's, we, we were like monks. We, we, we have robes and fold our hands, and we wear crazy haircuts, and we lift our heads to the sky, and we chant scripture, and we kind of walk around. People say, ooh, that guy's holy. No, he's the peculiar. <laughs> he's peculiar. Walking in the Spirit is not that kind of weird. It is a different life, but it's not scary weird. It's no, I've come to understand and be thoroughly convinced that my greatest freedom is not doing what I always want. Because I can want some really enslaving things. Look, there's a loads of illustrations. I'll give you one or two and then we'll quickly move on. Uh, uh, we think 
well, look, uh, uh, everyone has sexual impulses. But you can't act on all those impulses. That's clearly not, uh, you know, acceptable. So rather than do that, just act on them and, well, what are you going to do? I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll, it's like eating an appetizer before a meal. I'll just dabble in pornography. Or I, no, 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 I won't, I won't look at inappropriate things. I'll read salacious literature. And I'll, I'll just satisfy only to discover that well, that doesn't satisfy. And I need more and more and more and more. Because now you're not, well, I'm free to do what I want. That's not freedom. We're, we're, we're back to this. Walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify, satisfy. Uh, okay, I got my fill. And now I'm content. There's no such thing as enough sin to make us content. We all know, we've all got our own shameful stories. How I went further than I ever thought I would go and stayed way longer than I ever thought I would stay. We've all got those stories. Not a one of us does. We thought Satan was deceiving us about freedom. This is as old as Adam and Eve. You don't have to listen to him. You're free. Do what you want. Go ahead, eat it. And they did. And all of them discovered, wait, we're not free anymore. We're enslaved to our own decisions. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. As the Holy Spirit prompts you. Hey, 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 what are you doing? That's not going to work. That's not going to work. Stop, shut up. I know what I'm doing. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. Freedom, Spirit. Freedom, Spirit. Freedom, the prompting, the leading, the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I don't have visions. I don't hear voices. But I know thoughts come up inside my soul to my mind that are so holy and pure, I never would have thought of that. That's got to be from God. And then I read the Scripture a little bit and say, that is from God. How about that? Here we go. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that your spirit, you really want to do. If you're born again, something in you wants to be free. If you know Jesus, something in you wants to be free from this sinful life. You come to church, you hear great sermons when Jose's preaching. And then we walk away and our flesh says, yeah, but come on. And we begin to consider compromises and how far can I go and still be okay? We start losing incrementally our freedom. Losing our freedom because we're not walking in the Spirit. You see the connection? Last line of verse 17, this is what keeps you from doing the things you really want to do. If you know Christ, I, I want to be free. If you're led, however, by this, you're not under. Don't do this, don't do this. Ten commandments. If you're led in the Spirit, you're still bound by the things of the law. We finished up this section, verse 19. 
Did we finish the mark? Did I go to 19? Oh, 22. Let's go to 22. Go to 22, Mark. The fruit of the Spirit. The evidence of the Spirit, not the flesh, not the law, but the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, how much of your life is characterized by those words? How much of my daily life, my daily routine, my attitudes, my thoughts, my behaviors, how much of my life is characterized by these qualities, the fruit of the Spirit? Nothing can conquer those things except you. And it's not that you conquer them, you just turn your back on it. I don't want to do that. I want to go because that's where my freedom lies. And the Holy Spirit is screaming, that's not where your freedom lies. That's more slavery. For freedom, Jesus set us free. Jesus is, is, is God in the flesh. The Holy Spirit is God in spirit. And the Spirit is speaking to us the same way Jesus speaks to us in the Gospels, the same way the Apostle Paul is explaining this, this point of, of the Gospels to us. We think we're reaching for more freedom, just like Adam and Eve thought they were getting freedom, only to find themselves enslaved. But those who have tasted real freedom and say, I don't ever want to go back to that slop I was eating. This is truth. This is freedom. Those who belong to Christ Jesus are day by day crucifying the flesh. Don't listen to that liar. He is a liar. He lied to Adam and Eve. He lied to my mom and dad. He's lying to me and my wife. He's lying to my kids and my grandkids. He's lying to us. He's lying to us. I'm not going to listen to him. He's pulling me back to slavery. He's pulling me back to slavery. I've been called to freedom. Those who belong to Christ are every day, moment by moment, crucifying the flesh. Stop thinking that thought, David. Stop looking at that, David. Stop dreaming your life would be complete and fulfilled if you just had that. That doesn't make your life complete. Stop. But stop. They crucify the flesh every day, all day long, with its passions and all of its desires. With all of its passion. Oh, Got to have that. And all of its desires. These are the big overarching themes in chapter 5. And he gets to chapter 6. Finally, we're to the point now. Long introduction. He gives us a very specific illustration of what this whole concept of true freedom and not giving back to, to the old life that Satan lies up we think is freedom and it's not. He gives one classic illustration about it in chapter 6. We get our word of, of I'm calling it mutual accountability. But I'm accountable to you and you're accountable to me in an in a attitudinal way, but in a very literal, functional, behavioral way. I hope that becomes clear to you in, in, in the passage, in the scripture. So we're finally in chapter 6, where we spend the rest of our time with the little 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, they believe a lie and they reach for what they thought was freedom only to be enslaved. I thought by doing this, and I'm not going to illustrate because you didn't touch them on mine, so I must be okay. We've all got 10,000 stories where this made sense. There's a way that seems right for men, but the end thereof is the ways of This would this this looks like it would be great. Only this I did it myself again. If anyone's caught in a transgression, those who are spiritual. Those who are spiritual. Now the spiritual doesn't mean you know, like we're a first century monk and we've isolated ourselves from culture and we walk around and quote scripture. That's not spiritual. That's a man who doesn't have a job. Spiritual is what we just saw, that chapter 5, it, I'm walking by the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm not weird. I don't always speak King James. No, I understand biblical concepts, and I've, I've come to the place that I, I, I don't want to live apart from these concepts because these concepts, these truths, these these, these, if you want to call them boundaries, these fences, I'll get back to that. Well, let's say it right now. Some fences are to keep the bad guys from getting in. And some fences are to keep the bad guys from getting out. If you have a fence around your yard, just keep your dog in. Or it's to let your kids play without worrying they're going to get to the street and get hurt. It's to keep them safe. Some fences keep us safe. But some fences keep the bad guys in. The fence around your yard keeps the bad guys out. You drive past a prison, that fence is keep the bad guys in. And Jesus is not giving us restraint. His fences are to give us protection. And my life changed when I began to understand that. My life changed when I finally began to understand that. So a brother has run through the fence thinking he's going to get freedom. And he jumped the fence. Hey, I'm living up now, all you suckers in church. Brother is caught in a fault, in a transgression. Satan lied to him and he Has anyone in the room stooping up to hold up your hand and say, that ain't never happened to me? Every one of us has run through the fence. Only get burned up, scratched up. If anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are walking in the spirit, because that brother's not, you who are spiritual should humiliate him and make an example of him. No! No! We're to restore him and do it gently. How about that? That doesn't sound like church life, does it? We love to explode other people because at least now all the attention's on them. Oh my goodness.
God, help us to find this kind of freedom. There's a, there's a transition. You restore, you restore the brother who's believed the lie because I know what it's like when I believe the lie. I didn't want anyone to just call me a, a, a reprobate and slap me around. I wanted some help and some mercy would, would, would go a long ways here. So restore one another gently. You can tell the truth, but you don't speak it in hate or disgust. You, you're disgusting. Well, is there anyone in the Bible who hasn't had a disgusting moment? And, and we can cite all those classic illustrations. And don't think this can't happen to you. Keep watch on yourself as you run through the fence. Perhaps the essence of the whole thing of verse 1 is here in verse 2. Walk a mile in his shoes. Get inside his head. Understand what made him run through the fence. And, and, and the more you try to do that, I think you'll begin to get some compassion for this guy because you've thought about and probably already have done what he just did. If not in particular, at least in concept. Let's quit acting like all my ducks are in a row. And there's way more crude ways to say that. And, and, and when someone else is out of shape, I'm going to straighten them out. We're all struggling to believe the truth and not buy into the lie that real freedom is out there. And the only way I begin to think clearly about this is to stop thinking logically and start thinking theologically. There's a way this thing's right to a man. God speaks truth and real freedom is found in His way. And those of us that, that, that have lived long enough and tried and, and, and we can say, yeah, that's true. I know from the outside it looks like I've put all these parameters and barriers on my life. But I can tell you I've never felt freer in my life than I have the last, I don't know, 20 minutes. <laughs> years. These have been the best years. You should be sharing that with somebody else if you know what I'm talking about. If you've been through verse 1 and, and you see other people now in verse 1, you can, you can talk to them about, yeah, I've, I've been where you are. And I'm not saying that I'm free from it and it could never happen to me again. I'm definitely not saying that. But I do know what it's like to be clean, to be free. And, and, and to be forgiven. And that burden is lifted. And there's nothing like that kind of freedom. And to share that with someone else, gently, with compassion, and restoration, not humiliation, not public humiliation. No, no. That's helping a brother out. We think we get help when someone covers for us. I don't need more covering from the earth and the world's way. 
I have the covering of the blood of Jesus. What I need is to own my junk and believe I'm thoroughly, freely, absolutely, thoroughly forgiven. And I can stand and say, yeah, I did that. And I'm always going to be ashamed that I did that. But I'm free because Jesus paid for that. Jesus paid for that. So this is how we share this life. We bear each other's burdens. It's not hard to bear hardships. It's a little bit harder to bear sin, willful decisions to rebel. But we bear all of it. When bad stuff happens, it just comes out of nowhere. Through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom of God. When bad stuff happens, we cry with them. But it's not just when bad stuff happens. It's when they did the bad stuff. We cry with them. When bad stuff happens to us, when we brought her on ourselves, we cry with one another. Bear one another's burdens. Verse 3, we do not lie to ourselves. If anyone thinks he has something when he has nothing, you're a big fat liar. Quit thinking you're all that. There's no sin imaginable to man that's not within my reach. Do you hear your pastor saying that? There's no sin existent on the face of the earth, in the universe, anywhere that I'm not capable of. I'm not telling you that I've, I've, I'm guilty of all of them. But in concept, when Jesus defines the Ten Commandments, I thought I was okay with, with, with not killing anybody. Until Jesus explained, well, it's not just the act of literally opening their throat and bleeding out and they lost their life. It's wishing harm on them. Well, okay. Then I'm guilty of that kind of character assassination murder. Because I've thought some nasty thoughts about people that hurt me or my family. Guilty there. And, and I can tell you this with, with humility, not boasting. I've, I've never committed adultery in the flesh. I, I, I never have. But then Jesus says, but it's not just the act of adultery. It's, it's imagination and, and your thoughts. And I thought, oh, and I began to shrink. And there's not any of us anywhere that's not guilty of all ten. Of all ten. That's why Jesus came. If we could do this on our own, he wouldn't have come. He came because we cannot. So just own it. Say it out loud from a microphone in front of people that think you're something. Just own it. Because real freedom is saying, yeah, I'm here not because I earned my way in. I'm here because I got invited and I'm as blown away by my presence being here as you are. But here I am. How you like me now? And we all stand at the foot of the cross and we have one word, one phrase to say, praise God from whom all his blessings flow. I'm not here because I'm better than anybody else. We're all broken.
And when we start to get it together a little bit, because we're walking in the Spirit, we're walking in the Spirit, and it looks like we're pulling it together, and someone else trips and falls, that's the last thing they need to pray. What's wrong with you? How come you can't be like me? It's exactly the opposite of that. I want to help that brother because I know where he's at. I've been there and it wasn't that long ago. We bear one another's burdens and we don't deceive ourselves. It'll never happen to me again. We've got to come to this realization that none of us are just wonderful. That we're all struggling. And to be accountable to each other on that kind of honesty. And we may catch someone else on a really good day. We're not having such a good day. And I need their prayer and their help. But next week it'll flip. And that person will be doing better. And the person just looked wonderful last week is really in, in the throes of it. So we bear one another's burdens. And we don't deceive ourselves about how wonderful we are. Any given moment in any given circumstance that I'm more susceptible to than somebody else, I could get really stupid real fast. Perhaps the essence of this whole point starts now in verse 4. So test your own work. Read the boat, obey yourself alone, not in favor, for each has to bear his own load. All this talk about bearing one another's burdens, bearing one another's burdens, bearing one another's burdens, being compassionate, being sensitive, being realistic, could be you, could be you, has been me, has been me. We get to verse 4 and verse 5. At the end of the day, verse 4 is saying that I have to live my life. My life is whatever my life is. I'm married to Carmela for 51 of the best years I've ever had. We have three daughters, and they and their husbands have seven grandchildren, and we're active in a church family congregation. That's our story. That's my life. That's not your life. You've got your life. You've got your story. You've got your context. You, you, you've got your picture. And in my life, I've, I've got to work. And making sure I understand a biblical definition of freedom. And the only way that I really get a biblical understanding and the discipline to live out that freedom is to walk by the promptings of the Holy Spirit. That's the two big ideas we got in chapter 5. You've been called to freedom. You've got to walk in the Spirit. You've been called to freedom. You've got to walk in the Spirit. And when you don't, get some help. And when someone else isn't, give them some help. We help one another. We encourage one another. We restore one another. For brothers overtaken a fault, you restore. You don't trust him. You don't check him when he's down. You restore him. You do it in the spirit of meekness because it could be you and you know that. Don't forget it. But at the end of the day, we all need help. Help is great. But at the end of the day, I got an answer for me. That's where the rubber hits the road in verse 4. We're measured by our own work. 
And the work isn't how many times does he fall in the ditch. That's not the question. The question is how quickly does he get out of the ditch. Every man will be tested, will be measured by his own work. This passage has a lot to say, a lot to say about helping one another. But you can't ignore this phrase that even with all the help, you're responsible for you. And I'm responsible for me. From gossip to another G word. Pick your poison. And his reason to boast was an awkward word here, but it's a reference to Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 13, where Paul says, you boast about this, you boast about this, you boast about this. I boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. He's referencing this whole problem of spiritual arrogance. I don't sin like they do. Paul says, if I boast anything, it's not in my good works. I boast in the grace of Jesus. That he took my sin. He carries me. His spirit guides me. He's not boasting the way we think boasting. I'm not as bad as they are. Which is really a, 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 really a pitiful, sad thing we do. Look, there's, if, you, if you measure yourself by human comparison, and almost all of us do, even on a subconscious level. If you measure yourself by, by human comparison, there's only two ways to do that. It's to be better, and what better means? Stronger, prettier, smarter, more wealthy. I'm, 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 I'm superior, I'm better, I'm higher. But some of us, we hit our ceiling on all the categories. Morally, ethically, educationally, financially. I hit my ceiling. This is as good as Dave's ever going to be. And other people start passing me. Well, I know I can't get higher than them. So the only other way to do it is well, to bring them down. He's a liar. They got their bait cheating. They know somebody. Either try to get higher or we bring them lower. That's the human way. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You be responsible for you. People will help you. You help other people. But at the end of the day, you've got to be responsible for you. And then you will boast. And you know what my boasting is? My hope is built on Jesus. His blood, his righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground, sinking sand. That's my boast. I had help from brothers and sisters. I had people give me advice. I had a holy kick in the backside multiple times. But at the end of the day, I decided, no, I don't want to live that kind of a life. I want to be truly free. Not just say I'm free. I want to be functionally free. And the only way I can do that is to walk in the Spirit, the promptings of the Holy Spirit. 
And when I find that kind of freedom, I'm, 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 I'm happy to be free. But people say, well, Dave, you seem to be doing great. You're, you're soaring. You're cruising, man. What, what, what is it? It's Jesus. That's my boast. It's Jesus. Because everyone, verse 5, got to bear his own burden. You don't have my life. I'm, I'm married. I'm a pastor. And I'm a father, grandfather, on some kind of way. I'm reluctant to say this, but patriarch of a, right now we are a three-generation family. That's my load to bear. What's your load to bear? And it's not all the same. Single moms. Maybe a couple of moms were wondering, I think I might be better off if I was a single mom. The lie of Satan. Some of you just starting your your adult career. I don't even know what that word means much anymore, but you're just starting all of that, and others are finishing up. And we're all different places emotionally, spiritually. Financially, biologically, with health. In fact, the only thing that really ties us to one another is that we're trying to walk in the Spirit and discover true freedom. This crowd, that's about the only thing that really ties us together. I don't say this with condemnation or mockery. Some are living just right at the poverty line. And others, they don't worry about that at all. But what makes us all precisely the same is we're wondering, can a person be truly free? I mean, I come to church and I believe, but I, I seem to, I just feel this little but. My freedom's over there. And I'm saying, no. Forget what I'm saying. The Bible is saying, no, your, your, your freedom's in Christ. Your freedom's in Christ. And if we need one another for anything, we need one another to say to each other all the time, don't believe the lie. Your freedom's in Christ. And these relationships have to grow to the point that when you get a little stupid, you can go to someone and say, hey, talk to me. Give me some verses. Preach to me. Give, give me a, a, a spiritual punch in the chest here because I'm really contemplating some stupid things. I can never say that to anybody. Then, then you don't understand the beauty, the beauty and the love and the mercy and the grace of owning your sin and being absolute. Forgiven. Because once you've ever tasted the true freedom of forgiveness, then just covering up and acting like it never happened becomes a cheap, lousy, disgusting taste in your mouth. There's nothing as sweet as being absolved of your sin. Jesus paid for my sins. That's why we sing that song. My sins are gone. 
He doesn't hold them against me. They're gone. I'm free. I want to skip a verse 12 of this chapter, chapter 6 and verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. There's always some guy with a religious, you have to do this! You have to do this! And even the Bible tells us some things to do, but it's not to make a good showing in the flesh. Which is kind of ironic. I'm not trying to be crude or inappropriate, but just read this verse with precision. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, which is not the kind of thing you see in the flesh every day, is it? You know what circumcision is. It's not the kind of thing you just kind of parade around and say, hey! Welcome with Jesus, can't you tell? I know your pastor is too inappropriate for church, but you get the irony here. Because Christianity is not about a show in the flesh at all. It's walking in the spirit. It's walking in the spirit. We can kind of go back to the flesh. I'm not I'm not attacking. But, but this is why in certain Jewish communities, there's the flesh matters. You, you can't cut. You can't cut these long hairs on your sideburns and, and they will naturally curl. Don't cut, don't cut that. Because it says, it says something. You can't cut your beard. You can trim it and make it even, but as it grows longer, you don't, you don't cut that. And you wear a shawl, and, and the things that are, that are hanging, you don't cut those off. You make sure they're tied. That all represents it. This stuff matters. Jesus came to set us free from all that earthly, external stuff that people think matters. Because true freedom is not in how you look or where you live or your accounts. Or True freedom is walking in the Spirit. Our true freedom is walking in the Spirit. And when a person's walking in the Spirit, everyone will know. They're not worried. They're not bitter. They're not looking for someone to blame. They're not trying to get over or anything. In fact, we take advantage of them and they say, God bless you. They're free. You can't hurt them. They're going to kill you. Hallelujah. I'll be with Jesus. You can't hurt those people because they're free like we don't understand freedom. It has nothing to do with a good showing in the flesh. Verse six, uh, 13. Even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. They desire to have you circumcised and they may boast, hey, I got another follower. I got another disciple. They're doing what I told them to do. Far be it from me, verse 14, far be it from me to boast in anything other than the cross of Jesus. Which is kind of, kind of historically fascinating to me because the Apostle Paul was a brilliant, well-educated, we would call him degrees, certified man. He said, I don't brag about that stuff. The world has been crucified to me, and I've been crucified to the world. Neither circumcision counts for anything. Keep saying, continue on. Circumcision doesn't count for anything. No uncircumcision. Here's what matters. I'm a new creature in Christ. 
I've been born again. I'm not that old guy. And ever so often, his old ways show up, and I quickly put them to death. And when I step into them, my brothers come to me and say, Dave, what are you doing? We encourage one another. We restore one another. We weep with those who are weeping. We rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We're in this together. Most people like that phrase, so long as I'm the one that's giving the advice and I'm, I'm letting them see how smart and wise I am and insightful I am, and if they would only listen to me, then I could be as wonderful as mine. Uh, I, I don't really like getting advice from those kinds of people. But I have some people in my life in this room right now and around the United States and a couple of them on mission fields that they, they, they've, they've jumped in the mud a couple times themselves and I know about it and they know when I've willfully, intentionally jumped right into the mud and they said, I didn't think you were as stupid as me and here you are in the mud too. And, and we got some stuff that we know about one another that God has forgiven us and we know how to encourage and strengthen and love and restore one another. And everyone needs someone who knows them thoroughly and loves them anyhow. Did you hear that? Everyone needs multiple people who knows you well and loves you no matter what. They don't just love you because you're keeping up appearances. I, I really get, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't have a lot of patience with people that kind of apparent. They're just keeping up appearances. Because how long are you going to keep, you know, Doing this thing, thinking you, 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 you can keep the image going. Anyone with any kind of insight knows this, this, this is just smoke and mirrors. There's no substance here. This is where this passage ends. About responsibility. Let's go to chapter 6 and verse 6. Now, as opposed to a good show in the flesh, here's the biblical way. One who's taught the word, share all good things with those who teach it. You learn something, you give it away. You don't keep it and say, look how smart I am, or put initials after your name. Stop. If you want to use your, your insight, then get involved in someone else's life. Not to control them, not to lord over them. Not to say, someday maybe you'll be up to me. But to help them. Help them to walk in the Spirit and to discover true freedom. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you reap. You're about, I got disciples? Okay. Then just manipulate people and they'll think you're wonderful. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. That's the evidence I've been born again. Let us not grow weary in doing this good thing. Oh, this is exhausting. Well, if, if you think people are a drain to you, oh, you're sucking the life out of me. Oh, okay, you, you might draw that conclusion. But when you come to understand that no, the best thing I can do 
is to share with others the freedom that I found in walking with Christ. Then seeing other people discover that freedom, it's, there's nothing more energizing. There's nothing more energizing than that. Don't grow weary in doing good. Due season, you'll reap. If you don't quit, Have an opportunity. You have an opportunity. I don't walk around Gloucester Township or South Jersey or wherever I am looking for, oh, there's a down and out. I'll go help him. I'm, I'm just living my life. And, and you come across situations. I have opportunity. Okay. I'm, I'm, I don't get up in the morning thinking, I'm, i got to find... 13 people today that I can straighten up. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm living my life. But you have opportunity. Your eyes are open. Huh. I could speak to that. I could help that. I got 20 bucks. Yeah, here. Go ahead. Sure. You, here a little. There a little. Line up on mine. Precept upon precept. We give. We serve. We help. Let us do good to everyone. And keeps reading, especially, especially to brothers and sisters in Christ. Unbelievers? Absolutely. But there is, I won't deny, a, a, a unique because I know the struggle of believers. The struggle with unbelievers is this Bible, this whole thing about Jesus, true? And, and there's people sitting in church right now, this morning, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not because I had held interviews as y'all came in, but I would be shocked if there are not multiple people here this morning saying, I know I'm sitting in church and I'm listening, but I'm wondering, I'm one of those guys wondering, is all this true? There's teenagers wondering that. There's 50-year-olds wondering that. Is this true? And, and we need to help and encourage those brethren, brothers and sisters at least here and in, 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 not born again, but okay. They're part of this extended family. But those who know Christ, Oh, there's a unique burden for them. Because they know, they've tasted true freedom in Christ. They know what it is the Holy Spirit speak to them. But we all, just like they have, we got stupid. We got rebellious. We didn't find another gospel. We distorted the gospel we knew. I thought, well, maybe I can, I can get this close without getting burnt. And we got burnt real bad, and now we're embarrassed and we're ashamed. And I love those people. I love those people. Especially to those who are the household of faith. Okay, we really got to finish up. We are, where are we, Mark? We are, do we go to Jeremiah next? Is Jeremiah next? Yeah, let's go to Jeremiah. Now, I threw in Jeremiah, and I got one more additional phrase, passage. We threw in Jeremiah because right away we hear amazing, wonderful gospel sermon. That might happen next week. We, we hear, the truth hits us, and we say, yeah. You, you you won't even be your car. Maybe you'll be in your car. You're halfway home. You say, yeah, but maybe. And you start looking for a, 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 an alternative explanation, an excuse. Watch this. This is Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Like the word of the Lord has come to us today. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. 
And this is what it said. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Catch that word, knew you. That word, consecrated. I put, I put a mark on you. You're my son, Jeremiah. And this is the job I have for you. I consecrated you. I appointed you to be a father. I appointed, appointed. And Jeremiah said, here it comes. I didn't do that. Get in someone else's life. Get all up in a business. Talk about freedom. And walking by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I, 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 can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. I don't know how to speak. I'm just a kid. The Lord said, shut your mouth, boy. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. For all to whom I send you, you shall go. See, we think we can't because we can't. And the quicker I agree, God, you're right, I can't. But I am fine to the point that I believe that you can. I will quickly agree with you that we ain't worth much. So just get over yourself. Admit that. Say it out loud to yourself a lot. I ain't all that. But God in me? Wow. God in me? My dad, he was an old King James guy. And you'll get what I'm saying because I'm going to quote you a direct King James passage. And he was a King James guy. And, and he loved that King James so, so uh, you know, I, I finally surrendered my life. All right, Jesus, you're the boss. Took me a long time to get there, but I did it. And, and uh, it, it was apparent that God wanted me to preach, which makes you wonder about the intellect of God. So, okay, God, hey, if you're crazy enough, I'm crazy enough to obey. And so here I am. And, and I, I would go on these little, you know, uh, People, my dad said, come preach for us. Said, I'm too busy. Let my son. Okay, so they would, and I would come home, and he would say to me, how'd it go? Now, I didn't know then. He had already called and talked, and I, I would say, I don't know, Dad. You know, no one threw anything, and I did this and said this. I think I missed this, but I got this right. And there would be this kind of review. And then he would chuckle and say, well, son, and he quote that great Old Testament saying, God can use Balaam's ass. Surely he can use you. I'm still encouraged now, Dad. That is really no kidding about the essence of my life and ministry. I'm not kidding. Being as earnest as I know how to be. If God's crazy enough to use me. What makes you think he can't use you? Verse 8, do not be afraid. Stop being afraid. Well, I don't want to get in their business. They're drowning. And out of courtesy, you're going to watch them drown? Jump in the water. And if they start to fight you, like most drowning people will fight you, you got to slap them. you got to slap them and, and, and pull them up, almost choke them so they don't drown the both of you together. Drowning people are in a panic. And when people are spiritually drowning, they're in a panic. And in love, you've got to find a way to, to arrest their, their, their craziness. 
you got to find some way to slap them. In Jesus' name. Don't be afraid. I'm with you to deliver you. Verse 9, the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And he said, I've put my words in your mouth. I've set you this day over nations and kingdoms. I don't think anybody said over nations and kingdoms, but we are set over one another. Love one another. Pray one another. Serve one another. Encourage one another. Last I counted, there's some 40, 50 one another verses in the Bible. We better start acting on them. I need you all up in my business from time to time. Not all at once, please. But we need one another. I'm past my time. There's Jeremiah. Let's finish up in Exodus. Mark and I, at least I've been trying to get this passage to you in the last six weeks at least. But it would be fine going to do it this morning. But it fits better here than it ever did anywhere else. Any other Sunday. Exodus 18, verse 13. Moses sat to judge the people. The people stood around Moses from morning till evening. You're going to get out of here in the, by 10 after 12. And somebody's like, shut 10 after 12. Morning till evening. So you're getting a break here. Morning till evening. Moses' father-in-law saw that he was doing for the people. Moses' father-in-law saw this whole scene. All these people gathered, and they stand there all day long, and Moses preached to them all day long. And he said, verse 14, what are you doing? Well, what's this you're doing for your people? Why do you sit alone? All the people stand around you morning till evening. Again, 15. Moses said, well, because the people come to me and inquire of God. They got questions. I'm trying to answer their questions. 16. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide to do one person another. Now it's some personal stuff. He find the passage in the Old Testament. Well, you should have done that. You should have said this. And all right, he's doing all this stuff. Every not maybe every day, but it, 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 this is crazy. They have a dispute. They come. All right, next slide, Mark. Then they, I do this so they know the truth of God. This is how God said. Well, the Father said, "My translation, you crazy. This is not good. This this, this ain't right." You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out. Don't you feel like that every Sunday? I say, you killing us. You wear yourself out. This is too heavy for you. You're not able to do this alone. Come on, son, listen to me, Father-in-law said. I'll give you advice. God will be with you. You should represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. You speak to God on behalf of all people. You shall warn them. Talk to God about them and talk to them about God. You shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk, what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people who fear God, who are trustworthy. Hate a bribe. They're not doing this for themselves. Quit trying to encourage someone else so you look good. Stop it. We don't do this for ourselves. Take a bribe. And place those kind of humble, other-centered people over other people, over thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. Let them judge the people all the, all the time. As an ongoing relationship, every great matter they shall bring to you. But the small matters, the routine stuff, well, they can't handle that stuff. 
be easier for you, better for them. Because we all bear the burden together. What is the burden? To discover true freedom in Christ. To walk in the promptings of the Holy Spirit. If you do this, here's the memory verse for the week. If you do that, if you live like that way, with mutual interdependency, I need you, you need me, we help one another. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. Do you sometimes think, I ain't going to make it. You'll be able to endure. All this people will also go to their place in peace. Isn't that what we all really want? Is some peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. He chose able men out of Israel made them heads over people. Thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. And they judged the people at all times. Ongoing conversation. Helping one another up. They brought the hard cases to Moses, verse 26. Matters they decided themselves. Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. God's ways work. We cannot thrive with spiritual vitality if we just show up on church on Sundays and Wednesday night for Bible study and prayer. And, and, and we, how you doing? God bless. See you next week. All the while we know that guy's dying and he won't open up to nobody. The Bible says love one another. And that's not just a card at Christmas. It's helping a brother out because he's dying. Get over yourself and admit that to somebody. And if you're really courageous, if they won't admit it, find a gentle, non-accusatory way to say, maybe I'm crazy. It looks like to me you're dying. I've been back from the dead multiple times myself. Would you let me tell you how God worked in my life? And he might be able to do that for you. If he punches you, he punches you. But he might say, hallelujah, I've been waiting for some help. Let's help one another. Stand with me.